Millennials are cursed. They are really unlucky. Now, if you think about it, they've probably started work around the great financial crisis mm-hmm. from 2008 to 2009. These are the older millennials, right? Yeah, the older millennials. Mm. I, I think that was really a rough time for them. I remember I was in the, I was working in exchange then. Mm. And the market just started dropping uh, for 500 over days. Mm. So that created a generation of very scared sort of working people of that generation. Mm-hmm. Right? You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hey guys, and welcome back to the BFF Podcast. So today we're talking about an interesting topic that is often discussed, and this is, are millennials and Gen Z truly financially worse off? And today we have just the right person to talk to us about this topic, Chris Ong. Hello everybody. Welcome back. Uh, We are just done with Q1 2023. And once again, there's many changes with you, so update us on what's been going on in your life. Oh yeah, it's been really bad. Uh, I felt (laughs) sick with hyperactive thyroid, so uh, I scaled down my day job in a law firm and uh, I'm just focused on running my business in the evenings, which is uh, investment courses. Mm. Today we're going to be talking about, you know, your favourite topic, which is millennials and Gen Z. Oh, I love millennials and Gen Z. Sadly, I'm not one of them, so... Yeah. So according to data from uh, Opportunity Insights, it says that millennials and Gen Z are no longer making more or even as much, um, you know, as their parents. And bear in mind, this is for the US market, right? Right. And for for most of us Singaporeans, and as a millennial, I I don't think that is necessarily the case for us. And it's not really like doom and gloom for millennials and those after them at least, because. At play is also the phenomenon of the great wealth transfer where, you know, over the next two decades, we're kind of expecting parents and grandparents to pass down approximately 84 trillion, by estimate, to younger generations, particularly the millennials and Gen Zers. Right. So what's your take on how this will play out in Singapore? Because there's two things at play, right? One is, you know, the fact that they might be financially worse off, but the other thing is that great wealth transfer. And, you know, for us common folks, right? That's hardly the expectation of receiving a hefty inheritance. Right. And a lot of us can kind of, um, we can actually relate to the issue of being the sandwich generation. Right. Um, I'm going to divide my answer into two parts, right? Mm. The first part, I'm just going to talk about uh, how unlucky millennials are. I mean, if you really think about it. Millennials? Millennials millennials. We'll talk about millennials first. Okay. Millennials are cursed. They are really unlucky. Now, if you think about it, they've probably started work around the great financial crisis Mm -hmm. from 2008 to 2009. These are the older millennials, right? Yeah, the older millennials. Mm. I I think that was really a rough time for them. I remember I was was working in exchange then. Mm. And the market just started dropping uh, for 500 over days. Mm. So that created a generation of very scared sort of working people of that generation. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, if you look at some research coming from the U.S., we're looking at people who withdrew from the workforce and never went back in again. And mostly these are guys uh, who spend their life in their parents' basement playing computer games. Right? You're talking about otakus again. Right, otakus, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and in, our, in our local forums, we have BBFA, right? Mm-hmm. We, we forever loan people. Mm-hmm. I think they probably had the genesis 
in that particular recession. And that was really bad. Mm. And then 12 years later, right, some, some millennials, well, eventually they recovered in their careers. They're hit by the pandemic. Mm. And uh, the pandemic itself, you know, like for me, the first time I saw the causeway getting closed, mm-hmm. we've not really recovered from the pandemic yet. We're looking at the Arcturus strain. And so they've not really had a chance to build up their wealth. And, and in the middle of it, there's this cryptocurrency craze mm. that actually destroyed a lot of value, especially those that got into the lunar uh, ecosystem, right? The yep. Terra system. So that's not been really good for them. And now... We're dealing with high inflation, uh, runaway home prices, uh, mortgage payments that's just double overnight. Mm. So if you really ask me, millennials are cursed. I do not know what they did <laughs> to deserve this. I don't think as a generation they're different from mine. I think it's just really bad luck for them. And I think Gen Z, I would say they're slightly better because I think every generation learns a little bit from a generation before them. Yes, yes. So when Gen Z looks at the millennials and say that, you know, you guys are cursed. Mm. I'm not taking any chances. Mm. So Gen Z are very entrepreneurial. They hustle a lot. They can hold multiple jobs, right? I mean, if you know how to use ChatGPT, you can Mm. technically work for like two or three employees at the same time. There are all these things that invented for Gen Z like uh, overemployment where you actually pretend to work for one employer while Mm -hmm. being employed by multiple employees at the same time. I was just going to say if the employment contract allows for that. Um, but what you're saying, what you're enforced. saying is, yeah, you know. Contracts need mm. to be enforced. So, mm. uh, but I can tell that this generation, they're going to be slightly tougher than the millennials, I mm. think. Mm. Okay. And as to anything that's negative about a particular generation, always implying that the generation is not as good as the one before, <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt. The reason is because uh, for Gen X, we were not really respected by boomers when we first came out into the workplace. We mm. were known as slackers. Mm. And there were many really good movies like Clarks, you know, Reality Bikes, you know, that came in that generation uh, that talks about Generation X. We were into grunge music. Um, some of the, the, the ones that are more punk would read like Big O Magazine. Mm. And nobody has respect for them, right? I mean, the boomers think that we're lazy, we are soft and entitled. It's, n- it's no different from what they're talking about uh, when it comes to millennials and Gen Z, mm-hmm. right? So, so that sort of summarizes my view about this generation. I, I think they're definitely unluckier than Gen X. Gen X, we had a slight blip. The first internet crash affected my generation when we came out to work. Uh, but generally, it, it really doesn't come as close to what happened in 2008, 2009. And we had a lot of time to build up our real estate assets. And Gen X, my generation, um, myself included, was sitting on like millions of dollars worth of home equity. Many yes. of us. And that's just because we got married and, and we went for the PTO yes. or private condominiums. not because we are smart or savvy, right? Mm. Yeah. Millennials don't seem to have so much of that. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. even for the Gen Z, right? Even yeah. more so, right? I mean, the same right. things apply. Yeah. That, to me, is the fundamental problem, right? Um, boomers made a lot of money from real estate. Mm. Gen X made less. Mm-hmm. Millennials would make less than Gen X. Mm-hmm. And Gen Z... Well, um, they might be stuck maybe with shoebox units if they're not careful, mm-hmm. right? And with high interest rates now, there really isn't a way for like a young professional couple to pull together resources to, to, to pull to and find together something resources. that and I think makes that sense. The, the, the gold mine comes from an executive condominium. But mm. if you can't afford that gold mine, then you've got to go for a five-room or four-room, right? Yeah, that, that, would be, that would affect your wealth building. This is my opinion. Mm. Yeah, it's politically incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my opinion. Probably talk about yeah. a real estate expert who right. will look through the data on this. Yeah. 
But you know, I agree with what you said on, um, you know, the, the generations before us often have not the most positive things to say about the generations yeah. that come after them. Yeah. Because I've had a, I was listening to a, a, a Gen Z friend right. talk about how lazy Generation Alpha is. You know, the, <laughs> the generation after that, yeah. legit, is like a, it's like a real thing. Right? I was just um, observing with amazement and amusement. Yeah. Because Gen Z is already quite yeah. young. But I don't think that's even fair. Starting. Uh, my kids are Generation Alpha. Yes. And I think they're well-parented. That there's a lot of uh, helicopter parenting <laughs> mm. and Tiger Mom parenting over Gen Alpha. I, I think the only problem is that they, they might be overly parented. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I, I I don't see them growing up to be like particularly unsuccessful adults. Yeah, but I, I think, think we just... You, you can't tell. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I, I think about a lot of how they will learn and the kind of jobs they'll come to be in will be quite different from, you know, what yeah. we see today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. The, the ones who are smart, right, uh, will be very productive with mm. a chat GPT like tool following them every day. Mm. The ones who are not too smart, uh, that will be a problem because they'll be li- living below the API. So throughout their lives, you'll be basically dominated by a computer program yeah. telling you what to do, right? But you know that yeah. once you said that the ones that are not yeah. so smart, then like parents yeah. who are listening to this will be like right. scrambling to send their kids to more I enrichment think classes. I, I, I really think that they should. Right now, we're still trying to retool our society. We're trying to change meritocracy. Uh, but we do not know what the actual policy framework is going to be. Mm. And just to play safe, mm-hmm. we should still focus on academics. Fair. Yeah. And on the great wealth transfer, I think you can yeah. talk a little bit All about right. the inheritance, right? Okay. So when it comes to inheritance, I really don't think that people should put too much emphasis, like, uh, or emphasis on it. On right? it uh. Eventually, the boomers will leave us. The money mm. will devolve to Gen X or the millennials. Mm. That's going to happen. Mm. But if you actually look at the kind of lifespans that we have, uh, most millennials and Gen X will be getting the money in their 50s, maybe late 50s to 60s, mm-hmm. right? You're not dynamic anymore. And like getting a seven-digit sum, it's not going to make a huge difference in your life mm-hmm. if you are like uh, five years away from collecting your CPF life monthly payout, <laughs> right? Now, I, I speak with a little bit of experience. Uh, my dad left about four years ago. I, I was left with a fairly hefty seven-figure sum, but I'm also of that age where you know, I'm I'm not so excited to see a sunset. You know, I don't really need to be at the beach drinking a margarita. I actually need to see my kids grow up, mm. right? So actually, I've not touched that money. I, I, I'm happy to say that. Uh, some people might think that I'm dumb, but I mean, I've made enough as a working person. So um, you're just stewarding the wealth for a future generation. Right. And that kind of money, it's it's sort of like, uh, it's not a very dynamic kind of money, right? If you want to have dynamic money, you've got to give money to your children mm. when they hit 21. Then mm-hmm. they'll be the ones who can innovate, who mm-hmm. can come up with a new business mm. and, and do something with your lives, right? If you give it to him when he's in his 50s, there's nothing much he can do. But you said that yeah. you haven't touched the money, meaning mm. that you haven't put that money to work. Yeah, so for me, the money is segregated. And so I've been managing my dad's money for like over a decade. So, mm. so it basically generates dividends for my mom. Mm. The only thing I did, and it's very crucial, was to get my mom's heart checked. And she went for an angioplasty with the money that my dad left. Mm. And then subsequently, I haven't touched it. I've segregated it from my family expenses because I am not sure whether you will corrupt me or my kids, right? If I suddenly <laughs> like... It's, it's a decent amount of monthly income every month. Mm. And spending it would would have some subtle changes to the way my family is being built, right? Yes. Yeah, they might become more accustomed to a better life and mm. all that, right? So we don't we prefer not to do that, but reinvesting is is, is just as good. Reinvesting just means that uh, the cash flow would be larger over time. Mm. 
and that the cash flow would then be used maybe for something more urgent. For like for me, urgent would always mean life and death or something medically related. Mm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. And now alluding a little bit to what you said earlier, right? There's an alternate view where, you know, Bank of America predicts that Gen Z. So right. like I said just now, it's like the people who are born between 1996 and 20. 16, right. they actually argue they will be the most disruptive generation ever and will see their income surpass that of millennials by 2031. So okay. the, their global head of thematic <clears throat> investment strategy at Bank of America Global Research says, the Gen Z revolution is starting as the first generation born into an online world is now entering the workforce and compelling other generations to adapt to them, not vice versa. But so while 2031 is very far into the future and not anybody will be checking what this guy will be saying by then. Right. You, you talked about this earlier. So what do you think of the statement? I think personally, it's hogwash. It's <laughs> almost like saying that uh, the stock market is going to be 4,000 <laughs> in a decade's time. Mm. Nobody's going to be there to verify what you said. Yes. And the other thing is, if you take the forces of inflation alone, Gen Z is going to make a lot of money every month. It's just mm. that uh, maybe in terms of dollars, it might be right. But in terms of like how many plates of Tsai Pung you can get with your mm-hmm. salary every You're month. Purchasing power. That, that money might actually shrink, you know. I, I, it, it really depends on how lucky they are, how many GFC-like kind of crises we're going to have mm. uh, when they are forming their careers. That's really important. And there are two things which makes this extremely unpredictable. The first is uh, some generative AI. It's going to make some people more productive and some other people uh, will be forced out of the workforce. So that's the first thing that I think that we need to think about when we think about Gen Z. And mm-hmm. then the second thing is that societies will then react by introducing some kind of universal basic income because otherwise there'll be chaos, society will collapse, mm. right? So if you add these two things together, well, I'm really not too sure. Would we have a more balanced kind of society where everybody gets a certain amount of pocket money every month, you know, but everything's going to be expensive if you live in a society like that, mm. right? Um, then what's going to happen? And, and how would these people... Um, I mean, what kind of hobbies would these people have? Would they be living in the metaverse? Mm-hmm. You know, personally, I'm very sceptical about the concept of metaverse. It just doesn't work for oh, me. Oh, it's not even yeah. trendy anymore. I mean, yeah. look at look at Meta's shift away from metaverse yeah. into AI. I mean, they yeah. could even have a rename. Yeah, I, I think the biggest <laughs> issue now is AI because it's really powerful and mm. I've used it. Uh, I've seen people abuse it. Mm. All the major questions about workplace productivity, uh, wealth generation, all that will come from generative AI, right? Yeah, we're looking at like Bloomberg building a system for finance professionals. There's definitely a legal kind of AI being built somewhere that would probably be able to give first cut legal advice. Mm. Yeah, there'll be severe implications for people who rely on like consulting and advice to actually earn their fees. Yeah. Yeah. I I think without a doubt, there will be a shift in terms of how how we work. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of the times when, let's say, in a in a Singapore context, when people are kind of making that differentiation between like Gen X and, ba- and Boomers versus Millennials right. and Gen Z, one would be the ability to participate in the real estate investment <laughs> yeah. game, right? And, yeah. and they and um, and Boomers and and me Gen Xs have have benefited from that more, whereas right. that kind of opportunities may not be available to like a like a substantial proportion of Millennials and Gen Z. That's one. That's, that's one, one factor that is playing out. Right. The other thing that people might, you know, maybe be familiar with or something that they would say that they observe is also like spending habits. Right. So like even before we recorded this, we were also talking about the Channel News Asia segment, right? Where they were only right. talking to let's say a few, a handful of Gen Zs and we're talking about their spending habits. And and certainly, you know, if we look at millennials and Gen Z, we grew up in 
you know, a world of social media where there is a lot of this social pressure. I mean, social pressure is something that they said like yep. in the documentary itself, like That's social right. pressures to buy a certain things, right? Because everybody else is doing it. Right. And and by the end of the month, you realize that you've actually spent most of your income. That's one thing, spending right. habits. The second, the, I mean, the other factor is also, you know, with regards to work, right? right. So like you said, Maybe Gen Z could be more entrepreneurial. Maybe more of them are taking on more freelance work. But right. that will also mean that income might be lumpy. Yes. Right? Very, and, and, that is, yeah. and that is actually a big thing because, you know, compared to a salaried worker where you know right. you are going to get X dollars a month and that is always coming in. It's much easier to budget. If yep. you're a freelancer, it's more difficult to kind of like forecast when, you know, income is coming in. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a problem. Incomes might become lumpy. You know, there is this trend about young people, instead of owning something, they rent it for a while. So maybe mm. that might be able to help, you know, with um, all these uh, lumpy incomes. But I think that the generation would have to figure it out on your own. I, I see that there is some value in not owning something, mm -hmm. paying slightly higher amount to like just use it for a day or two. Uh, mm. It makes sense if it's something like a household device, like a drill, because you're basically not buying a drill, you're supposed to buy the hole. So, mm. so you just borrow a drill for a day or two and just get your DIY job done. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a lot of sense. A drill is yeah. like the, if you look at the, all the things that we spend on in a year, a drill would come for a very small percentage. Yeah. Like if you look at the biggest pockets of spending, it is food, yeah. entertainment. Yeah. You know, if there is indeed a trend of um, young professionals who are looking to move out and live on their own, that, that uh, housing expense is actually substantial. Yeah. So there's all these factors that's underway that's maybe in a way like encouraging more spending. Yeah, but that's the function of marketing. I mm. mean, um, for the boomer generation, when uh, my company Procter & Gamble, mm. um, they, they were the first to introduce the soap opera, mm. right? And, and that basically got baby boomers to like uh, stock their home up with fridges, you know, with detergents. Um, and that created like wealth for an entire generation. I think Gen Z, a similar process is going to happen. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's harder hmm. because you no longer have a place where you know that their attention is going to be glued to a particular medium, hmm. right? Some people use TikTok, some people don't and you don't need TikTok in your life, mm -hmm. right? So I actually think that it's harder to, to, to market to Gen Z. In fact, it's, hard, it's always known that millennials are very difficult to market to hmm. because they sometimes they buy something for identity purposes. Yep. I want to buy this because it says something about me mm -hmm. and, uh, and if it's environmentally friendly, then maybe I'm more inclined towards that brand. Yep. Right? For Gen Z, I think something similar is going to be happen. Mm -hmm. It's not like my generation, right? You talk about people in their 40s and 50s and all that, right? They're, they're, they're still like, like a group of my pals um, were in the same chat group. They're still into like Rolexes, Patek Philippe watch because they think that, you know, there's something that I deserve and, and I want to have one and I want to brandish it around mm -hmm. and all that. I, I think this generation was slowly dying out. We are, mm. We're seeing uh, people who are, who are now, there's a new, more, I would say, uh, a more conscious kind of capitalism. Right. Yeah, the consumption methods are going to change and, and too bad. I think marketing forces need to deal with that. Uh, of course, they will attempt to like rope in some Instagrammers and they will try to generate some kind of uh, desire for a particular product. But I think that uh, I would be hard-pressed to, to be able to market to Gen Z. I, I, I think some marketers are only barely grasping what it's like to sell to them. It will not be easy. For a generation that's just emerging out of the pandemic, 
you don't even go to work. You don't even need to look good in Shenton Way. What are you going to sell to them? Hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't like to be that few personally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you <clears> raise <throat> an interesting point yeah. because um, you know, the back in the days when I used to work for a consumer electronics company, <clears throat> one of the you know the focus. The marketing focus was always on millennials and Gen Z, but right. then when you look at the actual purchasing power, it's actually the generations who are older than them. So yeah. let's say you could get a lot of likes from millennials and Gen Zs on social media. It might not mean that they'll actually spend on it. Yeah. But, you know, of course, I mean, the counter argument is like, you know, um, they might not spend on more expensive items, but they might right. spend on, for example, like eating out more. Right. Yeah. And and that that actually adds up, you know, compared to, you know, cooking at home. Yeah. I think the thing that baffles me about different generations, especially younger people, is the kind of food that they eat. They're really different from my generation. Like for you me, think? I really like a particular hawker store. I mm. will really go there, I'll like sweat and I'll get a bowl and I'll eat. Mm-hmm. Whereas um they're sort of newfangled dishes like like particularly poke bowls, right? I, poke I, bowls. I, I, I they they I don't get it. I had one the other day. Yeah, you know, it's really to me. Uh, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. It's, it's like I can get Tsai Pung for $5 and a Poke Bowl, it's, it's, it's just totally illogical to me. Yeah, and, It's and, a uh, pricier Yusheng. Yeah, it's a pricier Yusheng and of course, I don't Actually, like raw Yusheng fish. Is that's probably the, so, the reason. But... Yeah, I, oh. I don't like raw fish so mm. that's why Poke doesn't work for me. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, when there's a bazaar and, and you go there and like for me, I like food that is really uh, traditional, like putu piring, you know. Mm. Yeah, but now you, you get this, I, I've had this fly noodle things be- before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I paid $7 for it. Mm. <laughs> so my friends say, this is so dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I paid $7 for a bowl of instant noodles, you know. But yeah. that's the thing, right? Yeah. I think like um, amongst millennials, though, it's not even like Gen Z, there is yeah. this, uh, you know, there used to be this whole like cafe hopping culture, right? Where yeah. let's say my peers would, um, say hey you know Saturday we're going to go cafe hopping that means you go from cafe to cafe to cafe and how many cups of coffee yeah. or cakes are you going to eat right and and yeah. that's that's like in between meals yeah. could be your lunch and dinner okay but, the truth know. is that I like doing that but for me I know why I do that I mm. do that for the company and mm. you need scintillating conversation mm-hmm. right and I also like to do that in JB mm. <laughs> where your currency is really strong I, I do the kind of hipster cafe coughing mm. uh, hopping when I'm in KL or JB mm. I just can't do it here right because yeah, of the price because of price and of course like for me you're financially independent man you're mid 40s mm-hmm. where are your friends they're all at work <laughs> so mm. yeah so unless I can find a click of like-minded people and all that uh, it's very difficult for me to do that but but I actually I totally I can vibe with that you know mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think young people should do that if you can find people you like of course Fair. yeah it's easier to find a tribe right mm-hmm. like for me I can't you you have to basically make do with whoever shows up in the comic <laughs> shop to be your friend you know yeah well is it fair yeah. to yeah. say that certain generations are more price conscious or they are just spending on different things? I, I don't think a generation will be price conscious because they are born in a particular day. Mm. But they are price conscious because of the economic situation that they're in mm-hmm. when they join the workforce. Mm. Right? Um, for Gen X, um, I would say that I'm price conscious regardless of the situation I'm thrown into. But when mm-hmm. we were starting out in our careers, some of my friends like scuba diving. It's a fairly expensive hobby for my generation, but they, they did it so that they look cool. I, I'm sure for the younger generation, they have something else, mm. right? So uh, millennials, I think, would be price conscious and many are just priced out of the markets, mm. right? Gen Z, we don't know. Mm. Yeah, they're starting about now. So hopefully they wouldn't get the brunt of the pandemic. And mm. then if there is a huge boom, right, mm. for the next five to 10 years, then they can be maybe 
more successful than than my generation. Hmm. And, and yeah, it, it all depends on how the economy goes. I I wouldn't like condemn a generation for being excessive mm-hmm. because maybe the economy is good and actually I think I should congratulate them for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I would feel quite sorry if they are forced to be uh, frugal because there's simply circumstances that don't allow them to be anything else, right? Mm. Yeah. So so we'll we'll see how it goes for for Gen Z. I I think the jury is uh, still out. Got it. And when it so we talked about spending a little bit. What do you think about investment appetite? I'm glad you brought up this point. I think if you really want to go into this, this can be extremely complicated. I I do notice that uh, younger people, at least from the finance forums, they they tend to be more conservative. Mm. I actually think that's bad. Right, mm-hmm. you need equities in your portfolio so that you can sort of profit from human potential, mm-hmm. right? Like like uh, Elon Musk engineering genius mm. right but if you if your money is start trying to look for for example I've got you know, there's always these bunch of people who are looking for a 4% fixed deposit and then you know they they, they, they get so excited over a 4% fixed deposit right uh, you're shortchanging yourself because you're going to be eaten up by inflation if you do that mm. right and I notice younger generations because if they've been hammered by a recession they, they tend to have this kind of mentality it's like when you read history books on finance and, oh my parents grew up in the in the depression, they are like that. Mm-hmm. So we're creating a generation that's sort of like that. That culture of being conservative, right? Yeah, the culture that's of being keeping what you have, right? Yeah, and so if you like back test equity portfolios, uh, they they've constantly been able to beat inflation, and they can basically help you in your retirement. So this is something which I think every generation, Gen Z or millennials, they, they need to be able to understand that. And mm-hmm. actually, it's one of the finance one hundred one basics that I need to teach my kids is that you know equities, uh, will make you lose money, but overall, you know, over forty to fifty years, mm-hmm. right, they will be able to assist you, uh, in your personal finances, mm-hmm. right. So so that that's important. So we are yeah. talking about non not non-risk taking behavior it is actually that that they avoid equities it's not even just about the fact of what kind of equities they do they even invest in like blue chip versus i actually do not require like a like a a young uh, like a young gen c or millennial to even think of the specific kind of equities that they do right right i mean if you follow first principles you want maximum diversification, equal weighted ETFs on equities and all that would, would do the job, mm. right? And I think uh, that should be the baseline. When you come out from school, from polytechnic or university, ideally, you should understand that the 60-40 mix equities to bonds should get like 80-90% of the job done. Anything else, it's part of a satellite portfolio for fun, mm. right? And and crypto has a role to play in your fun portfolio. But a small percentage. Yeah, a small percentage, mm. 1%, but your core portfolio has to consist of this balanced diet. Yeah, I, I, I think as a generation, the, the educators, we've sort of failed. Entire generations of Singaporeans, and not just my generation, the following generation, in that we've not had that conversation about these diversified equity bond portfolios mm. and why they should be the cornerstone uh, of your method of preserving and generating wealth. Mm-hmm. Right? And and yeah, I, I also blame the industry for for of course creating sexier instruments to market to them. Yeah. Yeah, but we we really need to put that out for Gen Z and millennials to really understand. So you yeah. think that it's still not being done yeah. enough? No, definitely all not. That, 
you know, public no. education are being put forth through, you know, personal finance forums or, you know. Yeah, my take is that if it is successful, mm. you wouldn't have so many people, you know, asking sort of questions that are very, very basic in the finance forums. And if it's successful, people like me wouldn't exist. Like mm. trainers like us, we, there is no need for us to fulfill that function mm. to educate them in that, right? Mm. Actually, I pre- prefer that for my children because it's, it's really basic knowledge. But I think the problem is that there is a very aggressive industry that makes money from selling products. Mm. And they want to influence the way we educate our kids, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, that's the main problem. If you want somebody in the industry to come in to talk about financial education, it will be coloured mm-hmm. in a sense that they will attempt to omit the idea of fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Don't focus on fees and think about the upside. Can yeah, and think about the upside, right? Mm. Whereas I would tell people that, you know, you focus on your fees, you focus on this basic equity bond mix and you lower your fees to preferably less than 0.1% fees every year. Yeah, that, that would be heresy. Mm. Yeah, that, that would not be acceptable in the industry. Yeah, mm. so, so that's that's something which I think society lacks and, and yeah, I, I, I definitely would, would, would want to see some major change taking place over there, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. Any other generational differences you see? I tend to see more similarities than differences. <laughs> because every time I know that an older generation of people, like a 40-year-old, always say the, the 20-year-old doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Mm. Yeah. But I'm really reluctant to do that because mine was the first generation to like get a university education, at least in finance, right? Mm. And and I was able to retool my dad's like methodology. Uh, it was obviously very real estate centric. So I switched it to dividend bearing uh, stocks. And that sort of gave my dad a peace of mind because he started to get money into his bank account mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And he sort of relaxed mm. about his, uh, his net worth. And so that's what my generation brought for the boomers, we we don't know whether Gen Z or um, the millennials can bring something to Gen X, but it's likely to be sort of AI generated, right? So mm. in the future, maybe my son, I could send him to finance school. If he's lucky, he goes to Wharton, he comes back, he's dad. Have you tried this AI? This is, this will let you build your portfolio. Right. You yeah. know, you know, some something like that, right? Mm. I, I think I think it it should be the other way around. I I I. I Maybe it's because I studied with millennials in law school. Mm. I, I have great admiration for their work mm. and the quality of their work. So, <laughs> so because of that, uh, I always think that uh, we should learn something from younger people. So in the law firm, I, I would get them to teach me to use uh, some of their note-taking tools. They are, yep. Yeah, they're not Microsoft Office tools. They're all very esoteric, right? So, yeah, so, so I would like learn from them and all that. Yeah, so, yeah, of course, young people, they will party, they will drink and all that. But of course, and, fine, that, and that, right? that happens yeah. for every generation, right? Yeah. And I, of course, I believe in the, the value of reverse mentoring where, yeah. you know, there are, there are things to be learned from every generation, yeah. be it like the, the older person teaching the young person, the younger person teaching the old person. I think there's always value in that. Yeah. I think, what what people also need to recognize is that it also is is a person and their lifespan, right? Mm. Because because obviously when you are older and and you look at your time horizon is less than that of a young person, then of course, like you said, switching from you know more like uh, growth equities to more dividend. Right. Uh, income producing um stocks it, it will make sense right because if right. you're thinking about their time horizon and they want like, right. certain certainty so so like comparing two generations in the same time frame right. versus comparing people in their 20s versus you know being later on in their in their lives definitely i always tell people i should compare myself in my 20s and you because yes. you're currently in your 20s mm. right and i say that there isn't a lot of difference um 
you have Tinder and I don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's basically it. So overall, I think I think we had a good discussion today right. on like, uh, you know, it's not just about dissing and all like, yep. you know, just saying that millennials and Gen Zs are actually financially worse off. But we yep. do operate in different times and it's all about actually right. comparing like for like, right? People in yep. their 20s 30 years ago and right. people in their 20s now. Right. Uh, I hope that uh, millennials or Gen Z listening to this, uh, sometimes it's really not your fault. And uh, you might not just get the same kind of economic opportunities as other generations. But the good news is that you're going to have unique economic opportunities that, that can only be, uh, that can only, available that's only available for you. generation, right? Yes. So, yeah. So, so I hope things uh, work out for everybody. All right. Mm. And uh, if you want to know what you want to do with your life, mm-hmm. then, I mean, obviously as an investment uh, trainer, I would say, yeah, get yourself financially educated. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Some things don't change across generations. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And for people who want to find out more about you or like have copy with you, okay. or have for me with you. All right. Where can they find you? Uh, Google. E-R-M intro E-R-M-I-N-T-R-O Take the first link And you can come for my next preview mm. yep. Cool Thank All you right. so much Chris Thank you Thank you right. Many thanks as well To all of you out there For tuning in This has been a fantastic conversation And we would definitely love to hear What you think about it If you would like to get in touch with us You can reach out to us Through the email Podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at MissFitFi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.